You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. It can be a little scary to receive a call from your care provider that you've been diagnosed with preeclampsia. What does that mean for you, your baby, and your delivery? I'm Dr. Chanjay Clarkson, and today we're learning about the symptoms and treatment of preeclampsia. This is Preggy Pals. Um, is that a plus sign? Pink or blue? Hospital or home birth? What type of food should I be eating? I think I just peed myself. I'm pregnant and I have to exercise? What pregnancy glow? Wait, was that a contraction? <laughs> Gotta make these pants fit! I've got cankles! What do you mean there's more than one? You've got the symptoms, and now you've got the support you need for a happy nine months. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Preggy Pals is your online support group for expecting parents and those hoping to become pregnant. I'm your host, Stephanie Glover. Thanks to all of our loyal listeners who have joined the Preggy Pals Club. Our members get special episodes, bonus content after each new show, plus special giveaways and discounts. See our website for more information. Another way for you to stay connected is by downloading our free Preggy Pals app, available in the Android, iTunes, and Windows Marketplace. Sunny, our producer, is now going to give us some information about our virtual panelist program. Hey, everyone. Okay, so we've got a really cool opportunity for you guys to get involved with Preggy Pals, even if you're not here in the studio with us. You can like our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter. We're going to be posting using hashtag Preggy Pals VP, which stands for Virtual Panelist. So I'm going to be doing that throughout today's show. So whenever our panelists ask some good questions, I'll post those to you guys as well. And when our expert, you know, gives some good information, I'll be posting little nuggets of information through both of those sites. So um, again, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and you can be part of the conversation as well. And if you participate, there's an opportunity to win some cool prizes. So please do so. Awesome. Thank you, Sunny. Sure. So we're going to go ahead and uh, go around the table and introduce ourselves and our panelists. I'll go ahead and start. My name is Stephanie Glover. I am 32 years old and I'm a stay-at-home mom. I don't have a due date right now, but I've got two little ones. My first is three years old. Gretchen, and she was my C-section baby. And then I have an 11-month-old daughter, Lydia, who was my VBAC. I'm Tony Barker, and I'm 22. I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I have one baby girl named Ellie, and she was delivered via cesarean because I had preeclampsia at 33 weeks. Hi, I'm Melinda. Um, I'm almost 44. I'm a nanny. My due date with this current baby, which is a my fifth surrogate baby, is October 9th. I've had, this will be my, oh my gosh, I think fourth girl and second boy. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost track. <laughs> Something like that. Um, my own two children are 21 and 23. I have had uh, four vaginal deliveries and a VBAC as well as a vaginal birth after two cesareans. And I am hoping that this one will be a repeat vaginal birth after two cesareans. (laughs) Awesome. Well, you guys know me. I'm Sunny. Today, I am producing today's show. So I have four kids of my own, all under the age of four. My oldest is about to turn four, like I said, Sayer, a boy. Uh, I have a two-year-old boy, and then I have identical twin girls who are um, about eight months old. So that's me. (coughs) Sound familiar? (coughs) If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, 
then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. So before we get started with today's show, we are going to talk about a headline that is making the rounds on the internet. Um, actually, this is through Huffington Post. If you guys visit that site, there's a lot of good articles over there. Um, I actually saw this on a, a video. It was primarily a video, and then they wrote up this little blurb about it, and it really got me thinking. And the whole thing was about um, what we name our kids. And there was a mom who really wanted to name her daughter after herself, like using her first name. And her name is Sheila Grady. And um, she actually gave her daughter the name I don't know if it was um, you know in in the hospital right away or it was before any paperwork was done but they went in thinking that they were gonna name their baby Christine very pretty name um, but then after the baby arrived they were just kind of mulling it over in their heads and they didn't think it, it felt quite right so Sheila the mom um, said I really like the name Sheila which I think is kind of funny <laughs> who really likes their name right. but that's okay um, and she said I really want to name my the baby Sheila and so they kind of switched it and I have a feeling there was no paperwork really done because that's a whole nightmare if you right. try to switch it after that um, so after 25 hours or 24 hours of her daughter being born, she switched it from Christine to Sheila. And it really got me thinking, we don't see that a lot in our, in our culture, at least. Um, we see juniors from, you know, dad. Okay, dad was Matt or Mark or whatever. And you got a Mark Jr. or James Jr. Um, but we don't see that a lot for women. I kind of want to toss it out to you ladies to say, wh- what do you think about this? Could you actually, could you do something like this for a child? Would you be interested in doing that? Or do you think that there's some cultural things that have to be considered? What do you think? I don't know. I I think I would feel funny naming, like, my daughter after me. But at the same time, it makes sense because fathers do it all the time to their, like, to their sons. My dad is named after my grandfather mm-hmm. and everything. But like you said, it's just so, it's so out of the norm, like, to have a daughter named after the mother. But I'm named after my aunt. And my, my sister, she's named after her father, because his name is Steven and her name is Stevie. So, yeah. but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> I wouldn't do it particularly just because I'm not wild about my own name. Um, I did give my daughter, I should say, we gave our daughter my middle name, um, which is Michelle with one L, um, not too creative, but yeah, I, I've never been real fond of my name, so I, I wouldn't necessarily pass that down to my, my own daughter now. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I, I I liked my middle name, which was Aaron, and had considered that uh, before. But I mean, part of me says the feminist in me wants to say that's awesome, <laughs> because yeah. we're you know, as women, we we often we give up our last names most of the time when right. we get married. Right. Um, but at the same time, just for like logistics, I probably wouldn't do it to 
I don't know, who are you calling for in the house? Is it me or my daughter? Well, and that's what they said in this (laughs) article, too, in the video that's on Huffington Post website, is that that was, I mean, the daughter's older now. She's, like, you know, in her 20s. So this happened a while ago, but they recently did the article. Anyways, um, that's what they said, that it was was quite confusing when you call the house, and that for doctor's appointments and stuff like that, they would just say, hey, this doctor's appointment's for Sheila, and they'd both show up for an appointment or whatever. (laughs) But, again, you would have the same issue, wouldn't you, if there was a son? Yeah, because that's how it is in my family. My son is a junior. He's Sean Jr. And okay. it, it's, it gets a little confusing and, you know, still we he's an adult. He's in the Marine Corps, which my husband also was. So he'll yeah. get mail for Corporal Edens, which is my husband. Oh, too. oh so no. It, it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if I could do that either. One of my twins name, her first name is Addison and her middle name is Marie. And my name is Sunny Marie. But when when I say her name, it's Addison Marie. So it looks like it's kind of it sounds like it's part of it. Like Sun Marie, mm-hmm. Sunny Marie. That was as far as I went. I thought, OK, I'll give one of them my middle name. <laughs> that'll be good yeah. enough. But my mom, I also have my mom's middle name too. Okay. So yeah. I mean, she's Dawn Serene. I'm Antoinette Serene. And okay. so, but not the first name. I kind of like the idea of just the individuality, you know, giving them their own. Yeah, their own their entity. Own, kind yeah. Of thing. Yeah. I just think it's interesting the gender line we have created here yeah. that's okay for guys, but women kind of yeah. stand on. And we do it on our own. We kind of stand off on our own. It's not someone saying you can't do that. It's just we just kind of back off. Yeah. yeah. That was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. So today we're talking about preeclampsia and joining us here in the studio is Dr. Chinjay Clarkson, a board certified OBGYN caring for patients and delivering babies for 15 years with an active practice in North County, San Diego, affiliated with Tri-City Medical Center. So let's just start off the conversation by having you explain to us what preeclampsia is. So preeclampsia, of course, occurs in pregnancy. It's one of four major hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. Um, It's a multi-system disorder uh, characterized by the new onset of hypertension, which is elevated blood pressure, and either proteinuria, which is protein in the urine, or end organ dysfunction. Um, Most affected pregnancies deliver at or near term with good outcomes, but these pregnancies are at at increased risk for uh, serious uh, complications for the mother and baby. And what are some symptoms? How do you know that you need to be checked or um, that you might be at risk? For mildly elevated blood pressure, you may not have any symptoms. And so that's why it's um, important. You'll notice at uh, your OB appointments that we're checking for blood pressure and we're dipping the urine um, at each visit. But um, some some uh, symptoms that are common are a headache, um, visual abnormalities, scotomata, uh, which is seeing sparkly lights, or I've heard them called uh, all sorts of different things, um, <laughs> uh, scintillating amoeba, <laughs> um, blurred vision, um, also upper abdominal or epigastric pain, nausea, vomiting, um, dyspnea, which is means shortness of breath, um, or altered mental status. Those are some things that can occur if preeclampsia is severe. Okay. 
you mentioned the routine screening for the urine and the blood pressure and appointments. Is that usually how it's diagnosed? Or are there additional tests to diagnose severe preeclampsia? Often that is our first sign okay. uh, that the blood pressure is elevated. Of course, you know, it could be you ran up the stairs or, you know, often you repeat it and it may be normal. Or maybe it's uh, the, the cuff needs to be a different size if in um, a, a, a a bigger, a heavier patient, a larger cuff may be needed, oh, and um, the blood pressure may be normal if that is done. But um, so blood pressure, and also um, it. So if someone comes in, uh, the blood pressure is elevated. It's we repeat the blood pressure, and it is still elevated. Um, I will often send that patient, or some pe- some doctors may do uh, be able to do laboratory work in the office. But what I do is I will send that patient to labor and delivery, and um, there there they get a C- uh, blood count. Uh, they check liver function tests and also renal function, and uh, get another urinalysis to see to if there is protein. And can it come on really quickly, or do you start seeing trends in the um in the prenatal visits just with the blood pressure or can a patient just get it or overnight? Absolutely, it can uh, present uh, suddenly. And sometimes when it presents very early, uh, those patients are the ones that have a very fulminant course and um, have progression of, of the disease uh, relatively quickly and that's when it can be quite dangerous. Oh, interesting. Um, Yes. And Tony, you mentioned um, before the show we were chatting. So how did you sort of notice that you had preeclampsia? What were some of your signs? Um, Well, I actually didn't, I didn't realize I was having any symptoms because I I wasn't really well informed on preeclampsia. And I kind of chalked up some of my symptoms to be pregnancy related because I mean, you know, a lot of pregnant women get headaches here and there and you know, they get gas and all these other little symptoms that you can have. They're kind of similar, but I went into my midwife appointment and I was like 32 weeks and four days, I think, and my blood pressure was elevated. And so they were a little concerned and they, they did a urine dip and they said, oh, you do, you have protein in your urine, which, you know, they were saying, okay, well, I think it's time you need to get monitored at the hospital for 24 hours because you could be at risk for preeclampsia. And so that was how I found out. But after the fact, I, I realized that I was having the the chest pains. I sort of felt like I had a balloon that was inflated in my chest and I had a lot of headaches and I was extremely swollen because I was retaining so many fluids. And so those are some symptoms that I did have. I wasn't aware until after I was told that I had severe preeclampsia, but yeah, those okay. are a few. And how about you, Melinda? Uh, my story was kind of similar to Tony's. I, uh, I did have some swelling in my feet primarily. It was not really my hands or my face, but I noticed it probably three or four weeks before the actual diagnosis. Um, and again, you know, it had been 15 years since I had had my own children. So I, and I do remember having some, you know, minor swelling or what have you. Um, but when I went in for my 29 week um, checkup, I was 29 weeks and two days thinking everything was fine in spite of the pitting edema that I had in my feet. Um, they you know, they took my blood pressure and it was extremely high. I don't remember off the top of my head. It's been six years now, but it was very, very high and immediate cause for concern. And the doctor, of course, dipped the urine and there was protein in it. So boom, they're sending you right over to L&D and we're going to monitor you and you may not be coming home, basically. So um, there I am in the hospital and um, things progressed really quickly. I mean, my kidneys shut down. Um, They were 
pretty much by the next day, you know, that once they started the magnesium and everything and they gave me the steroid injections to mature the baby's lungs, it was pretty much determined you're going to be delivering by this evening. And before we knew it, 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 it came down to it wasn't an emergency situation, but it was definitely urgent. And because she was breached still at that point at 29 weeks, three days, uh, I did have to consent for the cesarean. Um, and so it... <laughs> They tried to give me uh, an epidural or a spinal to, um, you know, numb it so that I could be awake for the delivery, which I really wasn't happy about. <laughs> but it didn't work, so they ended up giving me the general and just, um, you know, got her out as quickly as they could because I was I was crashing fast. Wow. So, and then I was very sick in the hospital for the next five or six days. I lost so much blood. I They hung, I think, three or four units. Um, I was so, so sick. It was just, it was very scary. And, and I, I literally thought I would never feel like me again. That's how bad it, it was, the whole experience. It was very scary. Wow. And so your um, your gestational weeks weren't too far off. You were 29-2 and you were 32 weeks. So Dr. Clarkson, is that about the time that um, women tend to? Actually, I would say that was is a little unusual. Oh, okay. Um, thankfully. Um, most people present after 34 weeks. Oh. Closer to term. Okay. Uh, you know, it's very common and it, it's um, somewhat co- common in... Um, patients who are having their first pregnancies Um, so and and it's a reason that we induce towards towards term at 37 weeks but um, it's most people present in the latter half of pregnancy after 34 weeks okay and um, so you mentioned first-time moms tend to get preeclampsia more frequently than others are there any other risk factors that would you know make you think that you might be more prone to getting it (laughs) Yes, there are. Um, so who is at risk for preeclampsia? If you have a pat, so we already mentioned um, uh, null- uh, uh, first-time pregnancies. Um, also, if you had past history of preeclampsia in a previous pregnancy, um, actually women with severe preeclampsia early in pregnancy in the second trimester are at the greatest risk of, of developing preeclampsia. But if you had earlier preeclampsia, you, you are you are at increased risk in subsequent pregnancies. Um, also, family history in a of preeclampsia in a first-degree relative. Uh, I actually had preeclampsia myself. I was delivered, I was induced at 37 weeks, and my mother had significant preeclampsia, or she actually had eclampsia, which is uh, seizures. So which is a, a, a severe manifestation uh, or a develop, uh, development of, uh, um, in, in the, on the progression of preeclampsia. Um, let's see, pre-existing medical conditions such as chronic hypertension. If you're hypertensive to begin with, you may, may be on medication. Some people come in and they're already taking labetalol or those patients are at increased risk. Um, diabetics um, are at increased risk. Older mothers, um, which we term, uh, of course, advanced maternal age, that that wonderful term of uh, and what does patients that mean? over thirty-five, okay. um, because they're at increased risk of <laughs> of um, diabetes and increased risk of hypertension as okay. we get older. Those um, those risks increase. And when you say diabetes, is that diabetes that existed? prior to pregnancy or are women who have gestational diabetes at greater risk? Uh, both. Okay. Both. The, t- the pre-existing diabetics and gestational diabetics okay. do have an increased risk. And also um, other other uh, uh, diseases such as chronic kidney disease where there's already end organ function dysfunction um, 
and uh, people who are, are very heavy with the body mass index um, over 26.1, that's th- they're at increased risk too. And I've, I've read in some of my pregnancy books that they're not sure what causes it, but there do seem to be some risks uh, or risk factors that can be considered. So is there a determined actual cause for preeclampsia? There is. Uh, there, let me mention one other uh, risk factor, ethnicity. Hmm. Afro-American women are at somewhat increased risk. Um, but as far as the cause of preeclampsia, um, the the basic uh, thought is is that the pl- the way the placental vasculature develops early in pregnancy, um, it's abnormalities in that development, the trophoblastic invasion into the the ma- the maternal tissue, the uterus, um, that has that is a factor in the de- the uh, development of preeclampsia, and uh, basically in pre- in pregnancy you want a high flow, low pressure system. In preeclampsia, you sort of get the opposite. You get a, a more resistance or a vasoconstricted state and a low flow system. So uh, that can affect uh, a, a lot of different things. It can affect the growth of the baby, actually, uh, where the babies are um, have uh, don't grow appropriately because uh, there's resistance to flow. I don't know if either of you had that issue. Did, did you? Um. No, Were I. Are your baby's growth restricted? Or? Um, no, they said that everything with her was fine. It was more of an issue with my kidneys, like not functioning correctly and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she was okay. They were appropriately I, sized. Yeah. For, yeah. For, okay. Yeah. As was my surrogate baby. Yes, she was uh, two pounds eleven ounces when she was born. But all things considered, she did extremely well and is completely healthy and normal today. So I mean, great. Yeah, like my daughter. Good. She was. She was smaller, but it was because she was only thirty three weeks when she was delivered. But it wasn't. They didn't say that she had been restricted or anything like that. So, and that's the that's a, the nice thing is that the the babies can do perfectly well. Yeah, yeah. If you're delivered in time. Yeah. Great. So when we come back, we'll discuss prevention, treatment, and labor implications of preeclampsia. We'll be right back. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. So welcome back. Today we're discussing preeclampsia. Dr. Chinjay Clarkson, OBGYN, is our expert. So in continuing our conversation, are there ways to prevent developing preeclampsia? Um, yes, there are. There have been uh, many studies, large studies and meta-analyses, and it's sort of gone back and forth. Um, the inis- initial study showed that low-dose aspirin was, was helpful in the prevention of preeclampsia, and then some larger studies showed that they... Uh, were not as helpful, but when they put the all of those large studies together um, and did uh, uh, several meta-analyses of the data, um, it does seem to they do the data does seem to point uh, to low dose aspirin um, giving a small but statistically significant benefit in reducing the risk of preeclampsia. And low dose is sixty milligrams to one hundred fifty milligrams of aspirin a day. Okay, and anything with um, diet. Can that be helpful? Well, antioxidants have been proposed. Um, 
However, um, there's just insufficient data for um, any reliable conclusions on antioxidants, uh, although they're beneficial in other ways. And um, actually calcium, there really is no benefit in low-risk women um, to, uh, for take, taking calcium in the prevention of preeclampsia. But it can be helpful with high risk? There may or? be a benefit in some high risk populations, um, especially those with a low calcium diet for calcium supplementation. I had read that too yeah. in several books. High risk, high risk patients. Yeah. Are you guys on calcium? I take Calmag citrate as well as fish oil. I've read uh, several yeah. books on it and, and things like, uh, you know, or, or organic diets are supposed to be beneficial. And, you know, mm. it could be speculation, but it certainly can't hurt, I don't feel. So. Mm. I've been lucky thus far. And, it, you know, then. it may be that just the data, It's we don't have the data yet. Right. And we may not have the data. It's difficult, I think, with diet and, yes. you know. Um, the great thing studies. about an organic diet is, yeah, there no harm, no foul. Exactly. <laughs> so, That's right. Yeah, it can only be beneficial. And are either of you on the low-dose aspirin? I'm not. I am. I have been with every pregnancy since then. I take the 81 milligrams per evening and, yeah. And I'm not pregnant. So, That's I mean, true. if I were pregnant, then I'm sure that they would maybe you know, tell me that that would be a good idea, but I haven't been using any. So how is preeclampsia treated once you've been diagnosed? Well, um, the definitive treatment for preeclampsia is delivery. A mild preeclamptic, say blood pressures in the 140s over 90s, um, may and before term, may just be followed. We may get weekly NSTAFIs, growth scans, um, weekly labs. An NSTAFI is... Um, the NST stands for non-stress test, and it's a way of assessing um, fetal well-being. Um, this may be done in an office setting, or it may be done at a hospital. At Tri-City, um, for the most part, it's done on labor and delivery at the hospital. Um, so uh, the non-stress test is done to, to measure uh, the, the acute status of the baby, um, and uh, fluid is checked, which is a chronic indicator of fetal well-being. So, you know, someone has blood pressure 140 over 90 um, or or is borderline blood pressures that they are just followed very closely to make sure the baby is doing well. Um, someone who as presents as you all did with severely elevated blood pressure, it's a, it's a different, uh, a, a, of course, you have to be a, a little more aggressive and those patients are usually admitted um, if the blood pressure can be stabilized with medications, um, then we may be able to prolong the pregnancy uh, to get closer to term. Of course, that's a benefit to the baby. Um, magnesium sulfate is given, um, usually a four-gram bolus and then two grams per hour um, uh, initially, and that is uh, for prevention of seizures. It, there's also a benefit to the baby. There's a, a neuroprotective effect on the baby. Um, if the baby is born preterm, that seems to reduce complications in the, the baby as well. Um, but if you have someone like a patient I had who presented early like uh, you all did, uh, she was 29 weeks, and her pressure was severely elevated. A severe elevation is the top number. The systolic blood pressure is 100, uh, higher, 160 or greater, and the bottom number is 110 or higher. So that is severe, and her blood pressure was in the 200s over 110s. And uh, there was just difficulty in getting that blood pressure down, and the baby, of course, uh, started to, we started to see the effects in the baby with a non-reassuring fetal heart rate 
and we had to deliver her emergently. So I think that's what happened with you both, I think, right? Um, um, well, my my daughter wasn't showing any signs of stress, but my blood pressure was so high that they were worrying about me, and, you know, I was using the magnesium. They were giving me the magnesium and other blood pressure medications as well, and it just wasn't lowering like they wanted it to. But as I went to go deliver, they they had given me so much blood pressure medication that it did drop down low. And so luckily, though, my my baby wasn't showing any signs of stress or anything like that. Nothing was wrong with the baby. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, you know, if if so, someone with severe preeclampsia, if the um, when the clinical uh, status is de- deteriorating, either with just uncontrollable hypertension um, or perhaps other symptoms such as uh, pulmonary edema developing, um, a renal failure, signs of renal failure, which can be measured, uh, we get a creatinine. Uh, and when it's over 1.1, that's a sign that you have a significant renal dysfunction. So things like that. Typically, it's just uh, severe, uh, you, you know, there's severely elevated blood pressure and um, it's persistent. Um, so that then the, the the cure is to deliver. And we mentioned um, some effects on the baby, but what does preeclampsia, uh, how, how does that affect the baby before delivery? The main thing is, as I mentioned before, is that it can affect the baby's growth. Actually, the growth of their head is preserved and their body is, is, uh, um, get, is smaller. So it's an asymmetric growth restriction usually with preeclampsia, as opposed to infectious causes where the entire baby is is smaller uh, but if you if you have someone come in with the you know with severely elevated blood pressure maybe their platelets are low as well I hadn't mentioned that we call that thrombocytopenia uh, especially under 100,000 um, and then they have a small uh, growth restricted baby may maybe measuring four weeks behind their dates uh, asymmetric um, then that's that all is consistent with with um, you know severe preeclampsia the baby just is not getting enough. Um, uh, th- there's a placental ins- insufficiency because of the disease process. So other effects on the baby, I think a significant effect if the baby uh, has to be delivered uh, before term, um, uh, which is before 37 weeks, you know, between uh, uh, any time after, um, you know, 24 weeks and 37 weeks, um, the there are significant complications for the baby for uh, due to prematurity. They have uh, their effects on their lungs. The lungs do not have time to develop, uh, and um, uh, as well as the heart, the brain. There, uh, a premature baby, an infant has uh, or baby has very um, you know fragile. Uh, they're they're prone to having bleeds into the brain, intraventricular hemorrhage. Um, there. Um, uh, they can have intestinal problems, um, necrotizing enterocolitis. So just they can have multi-systemic problems because of the prematurity. And uh, our NICUs are really wonderful. And we also give steroids. That's very helpful in um, boosting uh, lung maturity. But um, but there are significant problems with due to prematurity that you can expect the baby to uh, have to stay in the NICU, possibly have some long-term uh, developmental issues as well in some cases. And what does preeclampsia mean for your labor and delivery? How does it affect the method in which you give birth? I, as far as the mode of delivery, um, a lot of patients should be able to deliver vaginally. That's always a, a goal. 
um, we'd like to avoid a C-section if possible. And if someone is stable and we have them on the mag, and, you know, we, we go through, we, we induce using Cervidil or Pitocin, um, the usual uh, methods that we use, and hopefully they can have a vaginal delivery uh, just like they would otherwise. Um, if, if, for, uh, if, if the baby isn't tolerating it, or for the usual reasons we do C-sections, you know, we have to do a C-section uh, in some cases. Um, so as far as that, it's, I don't think there's a difference. Um, Other than maybe higher rate of induction, typically, would you say? Well, yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I might lean uh, more towards offering an epidural. The epidural will, may help with um, the blood pressure. And then the magnesium, There's it, it's, a, it's a higher risk situation on labor and delivery because you're, you're giving someone magnesium. And we mentioned about um, possible long-term effects when a baby is born prematurely, but are there long-term um, health effects on the mother once she delivers the baby, or does preeclampsia just disappear? The preeclampsia should uh, resolve. Okay. However, there are lo- long-term effects. Uh, women, all three of us here <laughs> who've had preeclampsia, um, have an increased risk of cardiovascular disease um, and stroke, heart attack, all, uh, um, a, a slightly increased risk. So it's, it's an opportunity to um, look at those controllable risk factors such as diet and weight and exercise and all of those preventive measures that you can take to avoid those. Well, great. Thank you so much, Dr. Clarkson, and for the panelists joining us today. For more information about Dr. Clarkson, as well as information on today's panelists, visit the episode page of our website. This conversation continues for members of our Preggy Pals Club. After the show, Dr. Clarkson will be talking about the differences between preeclampsia, eclampsia, and HELP syndrome. To join our club, visit our website, preggypals.com. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Hi, Preggy Pals. We have a question for one of our experts. Jane in Madison, Wisconsin writes, I have terrible morning sickness. Is acupuncture something that could help relieve my symptoms? This is Jamie Boyd with Whole Family Acupuncture here in San Diego, California. I specialize in women's health, men and women's reproductive health, pregnancy, postpartum lactation, and pediatrics with acupuncture, traditional Chinese herbal medicine. And yes, Jane, I've been able to help a lot of people with morning sickness with acupuncture in early pregnancy, but throughout pregnancy. Sometimes um, it can last longer than 12 or 16 weeks. I've also used acupuncture to help support moms who are already taking um, prescription medications for morning sickness and been able to help them reduce the dose or even get rid of the medication. So it can be really effective, as well as traditional Chinese herbal medicine. One of the main issues with traditional Chinese herbal medicine, especially since um, you're calling from a different state, is that you would want to find a practitioner that uses patent herbs or pill form herbs because it's easier for a mom to get down. A lot of the granules or tinctures, those kinds of things, are just so hard to get down that the effectiveness is limited because they just 
don't taste good to a mom who's already dealing with nausea and vomiting. But if you can do patent Chinese herbs and you can get them down, they can be really effective. But the acupuncture in and of itself also can be effective. What I tend to do is treat a woman several times as soon as the morning sickness starts in their pregnancy. As soon as they start getting the first little signs of it, I like to be really proactive about it. And then it tends to be, it doesn't get as bad as quick and things calm down quickly. If I see a mom who's been struggling with it for several weeks, maybe already on Zofran or Unisom, then we kind of do a slower treatment, but we try to reduce the medications slowly and with the help of an OBGYN um, and slowly try to get her body more stable and back um, Back in working order, um, a lot of what Chinese medicine thinks is going on is an energetic, it's a rebellion of the stomach, and the stomach gets ungrounded in early pregnancy. And so a lot of times what happens is my mom's developed actually quite good appetites, <laughs> especially right during the treatment. I have them tell me as soon as they're hungry, I take the needles out and they go and eat. And if we can get that going again, Usually it curtails the nausea and vomiting. All right. Thank you so much. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Perky Pals. Don't forget to check out our sister shows, Parent Savers for parents of newborns, infants, and toddlers, Twin Talks for parents of multiples, and our show, The Boob Group, for moms who breastfeed their babies. This is Perky Pals, your pregnancy, your way. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. New Mommy Media is expanding our lineup of shows for new and expecting parents. If you have an idea for a new series, or if you're a business or organization interested in joining our network of shows through a co-branded podcast, visit newmommymedia.com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.